What do all the examples of implementation have in common? And there are more to come. I have written a considerable amount of BS about the underlying fundamentals that make it possible for individuals to create a major shift in their feelings quickly and easily. To begin with, they all were relatively unaware of their internal sovereignty regarding their emotional feelings. Although they were at the wheel all along, they thought or pretended that they were passengers and other people or circumstances were in the driver's seat. For Bill Jr., it was the father's behavior telling him what to do, and Bill Jr. resented being treated like a child. For Ruth, the compulsion to bite her nails was in the driver's seat. Neither of them had mentioned any problems in class, but they heard something of value in my introductory bullshit, and they checked out the utility on their own and were surprised and delighted with their breakthrough experiences. In a sense, they discovered their own hands firmly grasping the steering wheel, and then it was simple and easy to steer in a way that served them better. Bert McTemper hired me as a consultant to coach him about controlling his temper that had gotten him in a lot of trouble. I let him know right away that I could not help him. I just had a few tips that he might use. I asked him to imagine that he did not do bad temper for various periods of time, with the implicit ideas that he was doing not having a bad temper, that the bad temper did not take over. Then it was simply a matter of inviting him to do interrupts when he began doing his temper. He felt a little weird when he realized the steering wheel was in his hands. However, the payoff was immediate and valuable and thus self-reinforcing. Ralph Holder had been living his life, life as if incidents such as a spilled soda had been running his emotions. He had heard my BS about being in charge of his emotions, and at the beginning of his build-up of his rant, he remembered the idea that he was at the wheel. Upon discovering the wheel in his hand, he immediately steered out of his rant, the ditch, and onto a smooth lane and attempted to reassure his son that he was done being an explosive ogre. Of course, the son was young and not in charge, so his father's reassurance fell on deaf ears. The lesson is we can invite people to change their feelings, but they will decide and the son had enough previous data to be distrustful of such a chameleon-like change in his father. For Ed Noquist, it was his smoking and well-practiced procrastination that seemed, at least to him, to be steering him. Although I couldn't teach him or convince him to view his bad habits in a different way, I could invite him to imagine these patterns in a different and useful light. I was sort of teasing him, with the challenge of demonstrating his skill at procrastination by postponing lighting up the next cigarette. I already saw him as a person in charge of himself, and he did enough curiosity about this new arrangement to discover the wheel in his own hands. As he moved through this process, he seemed to revel in his procrastination, so that he didn't focus very much on the usual difficulty of withdrawal and cold turkey. For Mr. and Mrs. Tallshort, 
the couple had collected a great deal of data about the futility of arguing while not realizing that they did not have to continue. Each was operating as if the other person was pushing their buttons. They agreed logically that it was unproductive and a waste of time, and yet they continued this pattern. Talk about automatically being outside of awareness. Due to the size and volume difference, I thought it would be fun to invite them to take up different physical locations for him presenting from the floor. They saw the humor and the very quick payoff and started smiling. As we went through several additional sessions, they realized that they were in charge of themselves and not the other. As they stated along the way, we are having discussions rather than arguments. Not that we resolve everything, but we are much more respectful of each other as well as ourselves. High and Lois by Dick Brown and Mort Wallace. You don't have to get angry about it. You're the one who sounds angry. I'm not angry. You're angry. Who's angry? They sure know how to make each other angry. Percy Poole and his wife were dealt an awful blow when their daughter drowned. They have to do some grieving, and each individual does it in their own way and in their own length of time. During the time they felt overwhelmed, he was exposed to some ideas, BS, that he related to his wife, and together they made use of the burner concept and the notion that they were in control of how long they would linger. It sounded like they had some quality talks and were available to each other. The umpire story was also utilized, which clearly points out how important it is to be aware of having the steering wheel in your own hands, not in others, or in fate. Ellen P. Shu had been living her life as if other people's behavior was ruining her life, which meant that she was in the back seat. Her pointed story of her experience at the convent indicates that she had a good reason for continuing her apprehension at being abandoned. I invited her to look at her shoes as soon as she began to feel apprehensive. She used this interrupt as a demonstration to herself that she was at the wheel in the now, and this made it possible for her to interact without driving all the way into OMG. It's happening again. To sum up, most people are unaware of their internal sovereignty for their emotional behavior. They are already in control since they grew up. However, their early experience of being operated by the giants and very few role models of ownership results in the cultural norm of victimology in addition, they have been making emotional decisions robotically based on their early history and outside of awareness. I have enjoyed my career of dealing with people who are pretending to be victims until they discover their own hands at the steering wheel. Another impediment to change is the belief that change takes a long time, is very difficult, complicated, and is also unenjoyable. Who wants to attempt a struggle like that? I would like to suggest a different model of change that I see demonstrated in the behavior of the people described above. How about quick, easy, simple, and enjoyable? I know that is not the cultural norm, 
and many of my clients, students, and seminar participants have accused me of making change sound simple and easy, i.e. not being realistic. I suggest that what you say is true for you, since you are the umpire and you are stuck in control. Calvin and Hobbes by Bill Watterson Calvin enters his father's den and sees his father as a huge monster threatening him. Hey, what kind of dungeon is this? Aren't you going to torture me? Oh, yes. Have a seat and let's see how you can withstand a calm discussion of wholesome principles. Yes, life is tough and suffering builds character. Nothing worth having ever comes easy. Virtue is its own reward. And when I was your age... Arr! Remember, our current cultural tone is downstream from our puritanical heritage. If you haven't heard some version of Calvin and Hobbes from people who love you, parents or other family members, or are interested in your welfare, such as educators and clergy, you must have been brought up in a bubble. If you look at the statement that where suffering builds character, it seems that if you want character, you should seek suffering as a method of achieving it. What do you get? Suffering. How about nothing worth having comes easily? Once again, there is an implication that anything that comes easily is of little or no value, sort of out of bounds. If you have sentenced yourself with a statement similar to the statement that Calvin's father made, remember, you will serve that sentence and defend it by calling it being realistic. The individuals who made quick and easy major changes might now say that they are the ones that are being realistic. I would like to describe another comic that I think captures what I have been writing about. It is a Gary Larson one-panel drawing and the scene is obviously hell. There are five figures in the picture, two devils and three workers. Of the three workers, one has a shovel and the second has a pickaxe and both look worried and are sweating profusely even though they are not working. The third is pushing a wheelbarrow loaded with lumps of coal and he is happily whistling and doing his job. One devil is saying to the other devil, you know, we're just not getting through to that one fellow. Once again, it is not the circumstances. It is once more what we make up about the circumstances that we experience. Remember, we do not have any chains. That is, unless we imagine chains and limitations. We are stuck with freedom to make up what we choose.